Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. The Lenten season is upon us, and many people will be giving something up for Lent. They do this to create space in their lives for reflection, contemplation, prayer, or also to get rid of a bad habit that's been plaguing them. As did today's Love and Life guest, Casey Main, author of I Gave Up Men for Lent. Why did Casey feel the need to abstain from men for 40 days? The description of her book says it all. Casey Main woke up on a blurry Saturday morning, put a hand to her throbbing head, and started to recall the events from the night before. I can't believe I made out with David. She pulled a pillow over her face and tried to go back to sleep, not yet ready to face those consequences. By most definitions, Casey lived a social, fulfilling life. She had a good job, great friends, solid family. Aside from the 30-something and single combination, her life was picture-perfect. But that was just a filter. Like how the right Instagram filter can hide the circles under your eyes? The unfiltered Casey was restless, uninspired, uncomfortable. Something had to change. That drunken makeout with her not-single good friend was the straw that broke the camel's back. So she gave up men for Lent, a 40-day cleanse in an attempt to figure out why she felt unhappy in her happy life. Casey, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So your book is called I Gave Up Men for Lent, the story of a jaded, hopelessly romantic, health-conscious party girl's search for meaning. (laughs) Darling title, I must say. (laughs) I tend to be a person of of extremes, and I'm like always trying to find that that middle point of balance. I like the subtitle because if you just had the I gave up men for Lent, it really wouldn't give the fullness of the experience because it's definitely about boys for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But it also, it really struck me, it was definitely a search for identity, for, as you said, meaning. There's the existential crises throughout. So Mm -hmm. it's really, it's it's deeper than just uh, how to manage the boy trouble in your life kind of thing. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And it's just, it's so funny to me because I, when I was writing it, you know, I, it was kind of a journaling process. And so I didn't know where it was going to go. And I really ended up capturing this really kind of big turning point in my life of really discovering like, hold on a minute, I have a relationship with myself. And that's the one relationship I have not been focused on because I've been so focused on all my relationships with men and, you know, keeping friends happy and keeping family happy. So it was kind of this whole like coming back to me process. I think this is something that everyone can resonate with to some degree and certainly women because we're socialized to value ourselves and assess ourselves, judge ourselves, and even interpret our own understanding of ourselves through our relationships. And you even mentioned family, not just the romantic relationships, family, friends. And so to cultivate our identity is 
not easy. And I'm not saying that men, I mean, men go through this as well, but there are just certain societal norms because we're raised differently, men and women and boys and girls. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more pressure on women to see themselves and define themselves by their relationship status. There, there definitely is. And I felt that for a long time. And I always wanted or thought I wanted, okay, well, I want to get married and have children. And it wasn't until I started to get into like my early thirties and that wasn't happening. I was almost getting like further away from it than closer to it as I kind of went through all these crazy relationships that only then did I kind of start to question it to be like, okay, well, hold on. Why am I so focused on this? Cause it's not the only thing in life. And I think that as women, we are programmed as a strong word, but we're, yeah. we're very much raised to to have that be a very high priority. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I believe in marriage. I believe in having kids. I believe in love, all of that. But I think along that way, plus like our just natural, like people pleasing nature, we lose like our own inner voice and we lose touch with kind of certain little unique special parts of us and things we want to do and the person we want to be because we're so focused on these roles we're supposed to play or making everybody else happy. Yeah. And that's the, there's a tension there because there is nothing wrong. And I do believe that for the vast majority of people, and I looked it up at one point when I was writing my book, but I think 98% of people eventually get married. And that might be different now that people are going with cohabitation sometimes as a lifelong partner and that sort of thing. But the point is most of us, and I believe it's biologically wired in us, we desire a life partner. We want our person. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But to your point, what happens so often for women, especially, you know, we start having crushes on boys when we're in elementary school. And from that point on, without even realizing it, we start bending over and maybe not backwards, but we'll lean a little over this way because we think that's what this guy would want from us. Mm -hmm. Or I think it's a deep struggle for many women to truly, really resonate with their sense of self. And you put it so nicely. You had that conversation with your friend Hadley's dad, and you talked about the three heads that we juggle. Yeah, I, I loved that. And I, I referenced that for like a couple years after that conversation. You know, we talked about how we all essentially have three heads. And the first head is very focused on what you put out into the world. So kind of your reputation and your look and just like what you're showing to the world. The second head is very focused on the feedback you get back. And so for, you know, you think of like high school, um, you know, your certain group of friends and you want to be cool or whatever it is. And then, you know, popularity would be feedback that you get back. And then you, nowadays you tie in all the social media stuff that all just speaks to like our first and second head, which is all very focused on what are we putting out there? Like the, the mask or facade, like we're putting out into the world. And then how is the world receiving us? And then there's our third head, which is like our true self and who we actually are that we don't, re we're not even really aware that that exists until probably late twenties, early thirties. And then some people, which I think my book was like a, this turning point for me kind of go on this journey of being like, all right, I want to really quiet my first and second head and really get in touch with my third head, which is who I truly am. And it's, it's a difficult process because we are so used to caring what other people think. Yeah. And that third head, I loved that he said, then you reiterated that it's not until our late twenties and early thirties and the developmental research now 
on our brains suggests that women's brains, we mature a little faster. It matures in our early 20s, but for young men, it's not until like 28, 29. <laughs> so the idea that we're making major life choices, which is just the way that society is structured, right? We we pick a major when we're 18, which seems a really a, a big ask for an 18-year-old, right? But Absolutely. Yeah. And you definitely had, obviously, your career has gone through a lot of changes and and transitions as part of your own identity development, essentially. But yeah, so we expect a lot. And then people do. Many people start having boyfriends early in. They're never really without some sort of person that they're thinking about or crush that they're having. And so they're never having that time and that space for that third head to do that introspecting and that introspection to figure out, well, what am I, just me, without all these labels of how I connect to others? Exactly. And that's like essentially what the book was for me because, you know, I gave up men for Lent. So it was, you know, a little over 40 days, but then I also gave up social media, sweets and, and hard liquor. So what I didn't realize then, but now is very clear to me, like those were all like distractions and things that just kept me busy throughout the day and kept me thinking about everything except like all the questions I asked myself throughout the book that are more kind of like, okay, who am I? What makes me happy? Like, how do I feel about where I am in my life right now? And then how did I get here? And kind of switching from that victim mentality, especially in relationships, like all this stuff happened to me to recognizing like, hold on, I played a role in all of this. So while that's like a little bit of an upsetting realization, it's also very empowering because then you're like, okay, I can, I'm the constant in these relationships. And so I can, I can change things and I can change my life. I'm not feeling a hundred percent connected to where it is right now, even though I had a great life. And I think that's another big struggle for a lot of people is, you know, if you look at your life on paper and it checks all these boxes of of a good life, you've got a good job, maybe you've got a good relationship, um, good friendships, all this stuff. But there's still sometimes this quiet voice inside of you, your third head, your gut, your intuition, whatever, which is a little unsettled. And I think that that is because we're not really connected with who we want to be and who we actually are and what we want for our lives. And so I think if you can remove some of those distractions and then that gives that third head like an opportunity to speak up and be like, hey, I'm here and I've got some stuff to say. Right. And you're right. In this day and age, we are able to distract, which essentially just keeps our third head quiet because it's going to take a little work. And like you said, we may not like everything our third head has to tell us. Uh, case in point where you said, I had to own that I I was part of those relationships too. I mm-hmm. can't just blame these guys for being jerks. I have to recognize what I allowed in those relationships. And it's easier <laughs> sometimes to just, actually, no, I think I'll just do some scrolling through social media and not think and kind of numb out. Mm-hmm. But what happens is we become alienated from ourselves. We absolutely do. And And it's because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult to get back in touch with yourself because that requires that level of honesty of kind of like, oh, okay, well, I played a role in these relationships also. And so, you know, if you stop there, then it's kind of a little bit 
doom and gloom and you can feel a lot of shame and guilt. And so it's like, all right, well, you don't want to live in that. That's super uncomfortable. So you've got to push through. And then that gets into like all of the self-work and and trying to find self-love and really accepting who you are and the decisions you've made and choosing to learn from them instead of, you know, blame yourself for them or continue to allow them to like hold you back from being happy. And, and that was a big thing for me because I mean, as you know, I, I made some really poor relationship decisions that I could easily carry that guilt with me for the rest of my life and allow that to define me. And so I had to get to this point of just accepting everything about me and the choices I've made, I think that's like a huge, important step in order to then, you know, change your life as you've got to make peace with kind of where you are now. Well, back to Hadley's dad, I wrote down one of his quotes, don't beat yourself up, seek to understand. Yes. Seek to understand has become one of my new mantras when it comes to myself and my own life, but also every single person that I encounter because it's a much happier way to approach life trying to just trying to just understand yourself and understand other people and remove the judgment like remove the concept of right and wrong and instead see everything as like an opportunity to learn. Yeah, and hearkening back to what you said about having a good life sometimes makes this sort of introspection even harder because it's good and it's good enough. And what's the problem? And you even talked about when you shared with your parents some of these changes you wanted to make, you were fearful that there would be some resistance. And your mom in particular was fearful that you discovering your true self, and I I don't think she would say it this way, but the way that you were articulating you were going to make some changes, it, it placed some fear in her. Probably just because she's thinking, okay, if Casey changes... What does that mean for our relationship? What does that mean for my importance in her life? Do I still matter? Those sorts of things are very natural for parents to feel. But again, when you have a good relationship with your parents, it's kind of harder to do what psychologists call individuate. And that was another theme that I saw throughout. Now, also, that's what my dissertation was on, (laughs) individuation of family of origin in college students, so in young adults, and identity development. And so I really saw some of that weaving itself through your narrative. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And that's a tough one. I've I've always been very close with my family. Um, I also have always had close girlfriends. And that was maybe the hardest part of this whole process was making some changes in myself and my life to be more in line with who I actually am. And then it it did the people that were close to me, they it it made them very uncomfortable. And I think there was definitely a fear element like of are we losing Casey? Like because we we love her right. as she is and we don't think she needs to change. And so that that's been a bit of a growing process. And my family, everything is fine there. Um but I did I don't want to say lose some friendships along the way, but some some friendships changed and you know that that was hard as well but it kind of goes back to another like theme i realized or a big thing i realized at the end of the book was like i have to start choosing me versus you know making everybody else happy and being who everybody else wants me to be and that is like a a constant i mean it comes up constantly in my constantly in my life of okay do what will make everybody else comfortable or what they think is best for your life or choose yourself and so it's like i had to continuously just choose to be me and 
if somebody doesn't have a great reaction to that, then, you know, there's nothing, there's not much I can do about that. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. And that was another quote I wrote down. You said, as you reflected upon these relationships and times when you felt that despair that we all do when a relationship goes south and we aren't chosen, you said, how could I expect them to choose me when I wasn't choosing me? Yeah. And I think there's there's kind of a couple layers to that. Like I wasn't choosing to, you know, kind of be who I am in like in a bigger picture context, just in kind of all of my life. But also like I, you know, there's this concept I quote in the book, which is from the movie, How to Be Single, like the concept of of dick sand, (laughs) where you just, you start dating someone and then you kind of just fall into their world and you just kind of become this person that, that fits in their world and that you think that they want. And it's kind of like, okay, but that's not necessarily who they met and started dating. Like they started dating you. And then I would just kind of fall into these relationships just head first. And then I was like, I was like a shell of even myself. So it makes sense that they would be all of a sudden not as into the relationship because I wasn't really being who they even initially started dating because I kind of became this just needy version of me that just wanted to please them. And I think that many women have experienced that. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We are so socialized to please. I think it's harder for women to be assertive because if we're assertive, we're called aggressive. If we're independent, we're going to be, we're so independent, we're going to be intimidating to a guy. So we have to show that we need him. Men need to feel needed. I mean, we get so many messages that I think it's very difficult for women. And I think a, a process like what you went through is one that was so intentional that allowed you to create that space. But like I was saying earlier, if we don't take that time, carve out a little bit of distance from all the distractions, we're not going to just fall into that kind of self-knowledge. Right. And then I think, you know, then in terms of relationships, you're approaching them from this unhealthy place. And so then that's going to result in an unhealthy relationship, which is what I think kept happening to me, because I think that we have to be in touch with who we really are and accept and love who we really are, like be very grounded in our relationship with ourselves, in order to find, attract, and have a happy relationship that is, that is healthy because otherwise, and this is what I, I found because of that, I guess like programming that we have that, you know, we need to get married and have babies. Like that's kind of the life plan. You're then 
you're approaching your dating from this place of need, which is like a place of lack, which is this concept, like I'm not enough on my own. I have to have this other person. And so even after the process of writing the book, I didn't really, I kind of jumped back into the dating world and then quickly realized, okay, I'm not actually still not ready for this yet. Like I've got more work to do. And it wasn't until I got to this place of being like, okay, I will be absolutely fine on my own. Like I do not need to be in a relationship and not from a negative standpoint, not from a negative, like, oh, I don't need a man or, oh, woe is me. I'll be fine on my own from a legit. I'm, I'm happy on my own. And I have no doubt that I will continue to be happy. Like I do not need somebody else. I agree so wholeheartedly. And I think it's a very big distinction between needing and wanting a relationship. It's something I post on Instagram a lot. And I did one year, a couple of years ago, I'd rather be wanted than needed. And I mm-hmm. said something in the caption, like my husband doesn't need me. And that's exactly the way I want it. And I knew that would spark some some comments because some people love this notion of these two people who are so fused together they can't live without each other. Romeo and Juliet, who were children, by the way, let's remember, <laughs> brains <Yeah. laughs> brains not fully formed, right? And then people died at the end. So I don't know that we want to use that as the model. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's a very big distinction and one that I'm always talking about because I know for me, and it's not that everyone has to have my path. I, I certainly wouldn't have scripted out that I'd be single until I got married at 42. But I can tell you, every year I spent single and every heartbreak that I went through, every bit of self-knowledge I gained, and all that self-sufficiency, frankly, just makes me Mm -hmm. a better wife. And I'm thankful. Now, in the moment, (laughs) it was painful and it seemed like, how come everyone else finds their person when they want to on their timeline? But looking back, Gosh, there were a lot of perks, a lot of benefits to my path. Yeah, and I think that that self-sufficiency is really important. And it's almost like in our culture today, we we've wrapped need up with love, mm-hmm. that they're kind of one and the same. So there's the whole concept of like the better half. Like, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm not a half. Like I'm a whole, like I want a whole, I want to be whole. I want another whole walking next to me. And like, we're, you know, and that's, but I mean, even look at the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Like this is this concept of you're not enough on your own is everywhere in today's culture in terms of love and romance. And I just, I don't, buy into that anymore. I did for a long time and I still am a, you know, sucker for a romantic comedy movie, but I I see it now and almost laugh at it to be like, okay, but actually like we have to be like you have to love yourself first. Like your relationship with yourself is the only relationship you are in for your entire <laughs> life. Like there's no breaking up with yourself like at all. So, like that is the first and foremost most important relationship that you have to get in a good place. And if that isn't, it is going to bleed into all your other relationships as, as mine did. Like I, even my friendships, my family, my romantic relationships, they weren't in as healthy of a place as they are now because I, because I, I wasn't allowing that third head to play a part in my life. Exactly. And having read some of those romances where you were losing yourself. There were times when you would 
even in the midst of it go, I can't even believe. You had the, enough objectivity to be like, I can't even believe I'm doing this. Are you kidding me? Am I really that girl? <laughs> and I, But mm-hmm. I think it's harder. And from knowing a little bit about your family from the book as well, I, and I can resonate with this too. My father, my mother, they were very much – I have two older brothers. And the message I always heard growing up, you can do anything the boys can do. You've got everything it takes. Shoot for the stars. Hold nothing back. Absolutely so – when I got into my mid-20s and late 20s and things weren't working out and then my early 30s, there were times when I'd go, why do I even care about these relationships so much? I'm not supposed to care about that. I am strong. I'm independent. I'm driven. And so there was guilt for feeling that desire to be in a relationship. Like I want that relationship and then I'm judging myself for wanting that relationship. Yeah. And for me, that that concept of like, oh, I'm supposed to be like strong and, and independent and all this stuff, that... I just use that as a reason to then never actually deal with or process any of the, the relationships that I was in that failed. And so, you know, I was in these horrible situations, all this heartache and feelings. And then I would expect like a two second rebound and just be like, Nope, I'm fine. Totally fine. I'm strong. I'm independent. And I thought, okay, I've moved on in reality. Like I, I wasn't I wasn't dealing Mm -hmm. with it. I was just like repressing all of it. And then, you know, when you do that, then that stuff's just going to come back up. It's just going to surface in another relationship. So, I mean, there's still scars from my prior relationships that I deal with now currently because I never dealt with it before. And now I'm much more self-aware, which I think this whole process can really, it just continues to help you because you start to understand yourself better and your reactions. And so if I have an emotional reaction to something like I get my feelings hurt or I'm feeling down rather than just ride that wave of emotion into whatever like crazy place it's going to take me. I question it and I'm like, okay, what does this mean? Like, what am I really upset about? Like, did my boyfriend really actually do something that warrants like how sad or angry I am right now? Or am I or something triggered in me from a past relationship and I'm just projecting it onto him because I never dealt with it, you know, 10 years ago. And chances are it's usually like the latter. So I think kind of this concept of we're, we're supposed to, you know, settle down and get married and be caring and nurturing and, and be a caretaker. Yet we're also supposed to be these strong, independent women. And so sometimes trying to juggle both of those roles, we can end up not actually dealing with our, our true feelings or kind of issues that, that we have from what we've been through. And I mean, that's really, it's real stuff. Which is exactly why self-love is the opposite of selfish. Because as you're speaking, the more that you focus on yourself, love yourself enough to process, to take a moment before jumping into the next relationship, to process, to figure out, so that yes, we're always going to have these scars. Those scars They're our history. They are who we are, and we've learned from every single one of them if we've taken a minute to learn from every single one of them. So Mm -hmm. I love this self-love, self-knowledge. Delving into that allows you to not do what you've put so, so perfectly, not to project the dynamics and the unhealed portions of those prior relationships onto the current relationship because it's not fair to your current partner to bring that stuff up that baggage people talk about, but it's it's accurate and it's not fair and it keeps you stuck in the past when we really want to be in the present moment, learn from the past and move on. 
Yeah. And I just realized like, I am a better girlfriend. I'm a better daughter. I'm a better sister. I'm a better friend. When I am putting myself first, when I am paying attention to how I feel and taking my alone time, like I've realized that is very important to me, which is just ironic because I used to just never be alone. Like I was always super, super Mm -hmm. social. And now I know I need quiet, alone downtime. Like I need time to process things. If I'm in a heated conversation, I sometimes need like a pause to stop and think because my brain will start going too fast. And then, like I said, I'll just ride a wave of like crazy emotions. So I need some kind of physical exercise in my life. That is a big emotional outlet for me. It's not so much a physical thing. It really is more like a mental thing. And so I just, I know I need these certain things and I've got to make them a priority for me, which sometimes can be seen as like selfish, but it isn't ultimately because ultimately that makes me a better person for everybody in my life. I did a post again about a year or two ago, and it was along the lines of, I'm better for you when I'm good to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, that was exactly the essence I was trying to capture. Because I think that, again, going back to socialization and I'm a Christian, I was raised in the church, so love your neighbor as yourself, right? So I, if I'm going to be mm-hmm. loving to my neighbor, but I don't love myself, okay, too bad for my neighbor, I guess, right? Because I'm not going to be able to love them. See, and that's the funny thing, like that phrase, we tend to focus on the neighbor part right. of that. Like, oh, well, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. But as yourself, like that is, that's to me, that's the most important part of that phrase because exactly to your point, if you're not loving yourself, then that's going to suck for your neighbor. So, (laughs) Like, sorry, I'm going to give you what I give myself, which is not a whole heck of a lot, right? Yes. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is the new black, don't wear white till it's right, is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N.me. Another thing that you mentioned that I that really struck me, and I loved how you made peace with your past when you started realizing. Also, it's really darling that you always thought all this self help crap was just <laughs> complete fluff, and it's too bad for all those poor people who need that kind of stuff. And then you begin. I know. <laughs> And now this is literally like my world and I can't get enough of all of it. It's just so ironic. And I think that's all by design. Yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes, well, the older we get, right? Never say never. The things that the yeah. things that you say you would never do, or that is just so, oh, that's for the, those weak people, weak-minded people who need that little shot in the arm. But one shot in the arm you got was it helped you to kind of make peace with some of your past choices when you gave yourself permission to realize that we live according to our values, which if you're aware of your values, that's fantastic because it helps you make decisions when you're at a fork in the road or like you were even saying, helping make decisions about how to respond 
in a relationship, how to decide, okay, do I really need to, what's this emotion about? And going back to your values, it really guides us. But you realize that some of the choices you made in the earlier part of your life, your values were different. And so it kind of helped you allow, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to feel guilty or shameful for whatever you were doing in your past. You could go, you know, that's where I was. It was about friends. It was about hanging out. It was about partying. Those were my values at the time. And that's okay. Yes. I think like a big thing, a big realization for me has been acceptance um, and and non-judgment, both towards myself as well as to others. And I love the concept. I, I hear it a lot that we're all doing like the best we can at any given moment with the awareness level that yes. we have. Like we're, we're actually, we're doing the best we can. And it's, it's a hard concept to grasp sometimes, but now I just... I love it. And, and so, yes, like when I first started to just realize all these things about my life that I wasn't happy with and I wanted to change, I did go into this kind of judgy place of being like, oh my gosh, Casey, you just spent, you know, 10 years of your life at the bar, essentially. Like that's where you were. (laughs) Like you just, and, and I was, I just judged myself like it was just this waste and then I, I kind of came around and I think it was a podcast I was listening to that was talking about your values change in different seasons of your life. And it was kind of like this, it's like I was expecting me then to be who I am now. And that's an unreal expectation. Like I was operating at the mindset I was operating at in my twenties, which is different and shouldn't be expected to be the same as I am in my thirties. So kind of allowing ourselves to grow and change and allowing others to grow and change, going back to kind of how my changes affected like my relationships. It's, it's hard because we can judge the past based on the present, but like, that's not a fair judgment because the past, we were operating from a completely different mindset then. I went through oh, so many (laughs) crazy, intense relationships. But one of them that really kicked my butt was my last boyfriend in college who I broke up with. I broke his heart. And then we get back together. You're well aware of that pattern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we get back together. And then we would be dating, but we won't tell anyone we're dating. And and that lasted several years. And when he finally had enough, which I do not blame him, (laughs) enough's enough. (laughs) And then he got married not too long afterwards, which I know you also know about. And I spent many years in regret. And it's that that's something because I'm, I've moved beyond regret because regret is a wasted emotion in my mind. But I mm-hmm. do regret that I spent so many years regretting. <laughs> is that fair or am I just being a hypocrite right there? But the, my professor in grad school, I'll never forget what she said. And we were doing this. My master's is in clinical psych. So that's all about being a therapist. And then my doctorate's in developmental. So that's where the individuation stuff came in that I was telling you about. But When I was learning to be Mm -hmm. a therapist, one of the premises of the program was I can't take anyone as a therapist in their journey and help them, guide them, be present for them. I can't help them get any deeper in their emotional journey than I've been willing to go myself, which Mm -hmm. I totally agree with. So a lot of our training was not just the academic portion, but also the, you got to start digging if you think you're going to be a good therapist, which was intense. And, but of course, just beyond valuable. And one of the professors, we were having this class where at the end of the class, we all had to share 
our final project was basically to share about a massive loss that we'd had in our life. And as people were sharing, a lot of them were sharing, and I was young, I was just 22, 23, 24 when I got my master's, but there were people who were coming back doing career changes and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. there were people in all walks of life. So some people were sharing about some losses that they'd experienced that they felt that they had had a hand in and that they felt massive regret. And I'll never forget the professor saying it was so comforting. It's basically what you're saying here. You were who you were and you had available to you the knowledge and the sensibility and the reasoning skills that you had at the time. And you made the very best choice you could with what was available to you at that time. And then you got to go, I didn't know what I didn't know. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's that's been a hugely helpful concept in terms of kind of making peace with and accepting myself and my entire story. But it's helped me a lot with my interactions with others as well, you know, because we can, I don't know, we're so tough on each other. Like we want everyone to think like we do or, or believe what we believe. And, you know, we get just angry and judgy all the time. And so I constantly remind myself, like everyone's doing the best they can with what they've got and, and that's it. So everyone's got their own journey. Everyone is entitled to their own journey. It all looks different. And the more we stop trying to make it all the same or, or change past parts of our journey, the happier like we can all live. And I think that's going to really play out so well for you. And I'm sure you've already experienced this and you will continue because I, when my husband and I first started dating, there were a couple of things, just, just stylistic things. We're actually ridiculously similar in terms of our personality, which just makes things so much easier. Like our love languages are the exact same. I was uh, talking to a, a therapist today and I was just saying that I learned in my marital therapy class that all our similarities are money in the bank because when we have those similarities, it's just less to fight about because we see that we have so much mm-hmm. common ground. And I'm not saying that it's not sexy to have some opposites attract and that's cool too. But I remember when my husband and I were first dating and it was just a little stylistic thing. And he said, well, you know, I would do this. And I go, well, you're not dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I don't know that you want to date yourself. And it's funny because I didn't really think much of it. And I said it just basically, just in a loving way, like, well, you know, you're not dating you. And there really are two very valid, very different, but very valid and and fine approaches to the situation. I don't even remember what it was. But he would say that. I'd hear him talking to a friend. You know, Karen says this thing. Like, remember, you know, he'd be giving a friend some dating advice or something. He'd be like, you know, you're not dating yourself. So just remember that it gives that freedom, like you're saying, that we – you know, it'd be so boring anyway, wouldn't it? I mean, as much as I think everyone should agree with me on every issue, (laughs) it would be a dull (laughs) place for us to live in. It would. And, and I think then our growth would maybe be stunted a little because I think it is in those differences and choosing to seek to understand instead of judge. That's how we as individuals grow. And ultimately I think now that is the purpose of life. That is why we are all here is to learn and to grow. And so if, I've shifted my lens big time from, you know, kind of goals and priorities in life, like get married, have babies. Maybe that will still happen. Well, you know, time will tell, but 
it's a it's a much bigger vision of of a purpose in terms of okay, well, I just I want to continue to learn and grow, and so that's like the lens of which I look at everything now, which is very different. And my my twenty five year old self would have never had that approach, and I don't blame her for it. She was out having fun, and good for her. She has left me with a lot of really great <laughs> memories. Yeah, what do they say? Because um, no good stories ever happen when someone started the night eating a salad or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, Casey, I do want to thank you for coming on the program. Is there anything, any parting words you want to leave? And absolutely, please let listeners know where to find you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. Um, everyone can find me. My website is caseymain.com. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. It's in paperback, Kindle, and Audible. I recorded the audio, which was a whole experience in itself. Um, and then I'm on all the socials, usually as Casey Main writes, like W-R-I-T-E-S. And I guess for for parting words, I would just say, open your mind and allow yourself the freedom to change. Because I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think sometimes, you know, we can point to all these external reasons of why we aren't making certain changes in our lives, but ultimately it it all comes down to us and we're usually we're scared for some Mm -hmm. reason. And so I think if you can dig into that a little bit and just open up to the possibility of change, it can drastically change your life. Well said. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. And uh, thanks again for joining me today. Yes, thank you. The love and life hack for this week is a question. Do you need to give something up in order to gain a more authentic relationship with yourself? Thanks for joining us this week. And as always, a huge thank you to those of you who've subscribed to the podcast, reviewed it, and have shared episodes with friends. I truly appreciate it. For Love and Life Insider perks, be sure to subscribe to my Love and Life newsletter. You can sign up by heading over to loveandlifemedia.com. There are some exciting things coming our way in the very near future, so stay tuned. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.